Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. We help you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's jump into today's episode. So we got our first factor meals and I am pumped to tell you about them. First off, we absolutely loved them. Delicious chef's kiss for the chef crafted dietitian approved meals that come straight to your door. I can definitely see how when deadlines are out of control or you're in a super busy season, how factor meals can lighten your load while still giving you options like veggie, vegan, and even low calorie Get as much or as little as you need by choosing six to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can even pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Head to factormeals.com slash peptalk50 and use code peptalk50 to get 50% off. That's code peptalk50 at factormeals.com slash peptalk50 to get 50% off. Hello, friends. This is a Ask Dr. Pizza episode. So I will be answering questions that you sent in. We got some really brilliant uh, questions come in through Instagram. You can follow me at Andy J Pizza. If you do that, when I post on my stories uh, questions to, to field questions for episodes like this, you can do that there. Uh, So these came in through Instagram and Chris Graham, who shares a studio space with me, came in and acted as host asking and fielding these questions to me just to change it up and make it interesting, you know, as I like to do in my pursuit of never being boring. Uh, Let's do it. How do you balance between over and under analyzing what your work means? Whoa, that's heavy. That's so real heavy. heavy. I, that's a good question. Yeah. You, should I roll on that? I think you should roll on um, that. Okay. How do you balance over and under analyzing? So one of the things I like to think a lot about is like watching the tape. You know, I'm mm. not a sports guy, but for some reason I think in sports analogies all the time. I grew up in, around sports like crazy. And it's such a different perspective than art. So I yeah. feel like you get something different. And I think about watching the tapes. Peyton Manning, right? Football guy. He d- he played He played football. with the ball. And uh, he, I imagine, you know, if he's in the game, he's not thinking. He's hopefully, like Amy Poehler, UCB, mm. they all talk about their big uh, improv thing is mm. don't think. Don't think. Um, like, just do. This is actually one of the reasons why I think comedians get in trouble a lot is because they're not thinking. They're just doing it. And I think that that can be dangerous kind of, but it's also a really good technique for creativity because you're not in your prefrontal cortex and you're just back in the transient hypofrontality moving around, going crazy. And I think that when it comes to making, you actually shouldn't be thinking at all. You should be doing and you should be finding and, and, and discovering and all that kind of stuff. But I think that um, you should absolutely watch your tapes like Peyton Manning and study yourself and think heavily after the fact and before the fact, but during the fact, no thinking. And so I think I actually, I feel like uh, back in the day you would see a lot of, because creative people knew that you shouldn't be thinking while making, that they were were kind of skittish about 
analyzing their practice. And I think, <clears throat> I think a lot of times you see amateurs freaking out about asking questions like, how did you do that? Or how does one be funny or, you know, whatever stuff like that. And you can see them be like, Oh gosh, we, we're not allowed to talk about that here because you're thinking. And I think, uh, but when you talk to the masters, the masters are like, they can tell you exactly how they do what they do. Mm. And they have thought about it to a ridiculous degree and they've categorized it and they have the language around it. Um, and so I think that I think that's the best answer is that I don't one another thing I want to speak to mm. real quick is that uh, there's that term overthinking. You can absolutely overthink things. I'm not saying that you can't, but I do think that that terminology is created. I, by the way, I don't know if this is an original thought of mine mm. or if I heard it somewhere, I, I can't, I can't reference it, so I won't. But, um, I do think that we call all thinking overthinking in our culture. And I think that comes from, uh, an obsession with productivity. Let me tell you this real quick. I would go, I worked at a, uh, one of the biggest, oh gosh, I'm about to drop some humble brag. One of the biggest companies in the country. I worked in-house for one week on a specific job. They didn't like hire me, right? But one of the big tech companies. And one of the things that was driving me freaking mad is they wouldn't let me think. They wanted me to execute, execute, execute. And they mm. wouldn't let me think. And I thought, this is indicative of corporate culture, uh, industrial revolution, widgets, all that kind of stuff is like, if you're thinking on the job, you're going to get in trouble. Mm. Like, hey, Johnson, what are you doing? Oh, I was just thinking. Like, get back to work. <laughs> like, thinking doesn't count. Yeah. And that's crazy. And I think that's where we get that overthinking. And actually, so I have a real aversion to the idea of overthinking. I mm. hate when people say that, They're, especially early on in my career when I hadn't really made that much progress in my craft and I was analyzing it like crazy and I had no proof that the analysis was actually going to pay off. I would get that all the time. I would call a buddy of mine or I would meet up with somebody and I'd say, here's what I'm thinking about. Uh, you know, should I go this route? You know, I was getting very strategic, super thoughtful about the stuff I was making and the career decisions I was making. And I felt like all of their, most of those people's vibe was like, dude, quit overthinking it, bro. And actually all of that analysis is why I am doing what I am today. And so Love it. I hardcore overthink, think, just don't think when you're making it. That was good content. Dude, yeah, it's <laughs> going to go into it. That was great. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a hmm and an mm-hmm. Do it. Is that okay? Uh, yeah. Okay. I'm a very active listener. Okay. Of interviews and such, but yeah. Okay. I, yeah, I'm, I'm painfully active. It's all good. Um, ironically, somebody wrote, "My mental health is so horrible. Making art is hard." Twice. <laughs> I don't want to laugh. <laughs> I'm sorry if you ask that question. That sounds that sounds serious. Yeah, you you press send twice. Can I just let's riff on this real quick because you know this is something I think is interesting. Yeah, and it's a good reason to have you to talk here. Mm. You know for a fact, and maybe take it easy because I don't want to give too much away. But you know, half the days I come in here, I'm bouncing off the walls, having a great time. Half the days I come in and I'm you're naked. I'm naked. <laughs> half the time I'm wearing a clown suit. There's a I have a, a lot whole, <laughs> there's a lot you can't see going on here. Um, but you know, half the other days I come in and I'm not in a good mood. Brooding. Brooding. Yeah. Like I'm an, a, a very, I've, we, we started talking about this the other day. I was thinking you, you mentioned, uh, what'd you say about like musicians and the emotional state that they get in? 
to There's, like create stuff. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, yeah. as a musician, you're so you're digging deep to find that emotion and you do it so often that you get stuck in that mode and you're just constantly trying to like, I have a feeling must hash out and communicate to world. When that's not always, or let it just like, 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 let, oh, I better simmer in this because that's just fodder for stuff. So, yeah, like, let it, let it happen. Um, yeah, when a healthy person would be like, ooh, that's not a good thought. I shouldn't. Yeah, I should push that away. Yes, and I think the other thing is uh, that led me to uh, start thinking again. Back to that uh, fancy words: the front of your brain, back of your brain. The front of your brain is like rational. Mm. And that's you get you want to get out of that when you're doing creative stuff because you want to make novel connections. So you don't want to be rational. And I think one of the things that ends up happening for people that are making creative stuff all the time is they become really irrational because they're mm. constantly outside of their irrational brain. And I, so for me, I think about I am I make it my business to be in touch with. Uh, I'm always trying to get in touch with truths, whether that's for my podcast or for my illustration. And I'm trying to like collect them in a bag and, you know, and, and my only radar, my, my metal detector for that stuff is emotion. Mm. So I'm like constantly, I'm, I'm, I'm in the irrational part of my brain, my emotional state, and I'm letting that fly all the time. And I do think the more creative I've become, the more, the more raw I am. And I think about mm. it like, uh, there's a, uh, I talk about this in an interview. I don't know if it won't have aired yet, but, um, that you, have you, have you heard that video of Christian Bale going off on a camera guy? No, but I would like to. Yeah. You can go look, go listen to it. He freaking flips. Now listen, Christian Bale. What movie is this? I don't know. I don't please, know. Please say American psycho. Cause that would just be, it makes sense. Creepy. Yeah. Uh, but, and I'm nothing compared to Christian Bale. I hate to even use my name in the same sentence uh, creatively, but mm. I can relate to it. The more, the more my work has become seriously creative and the more time I'm spending in that creativity, the more raw I am as a person. Mm. And, and he got heavily criticized. And this goes with comedians too, but he got heavily criticized by the online community. And then he kind of came back with like, like, acting is a sensitive issue and I'm getting very raw and sensitive. And when somebody, and you touch that nerve, it's touchy. Mm. And, and, and then a bunch of actors actually came to his defense to be like, look, I know it seems like prima donna or whatever, but you have no idea what, how, what it takes to get in that place. And then comedians will do the same thing, mm. you know, with the don't think thing or where someone will say something on stage and you're like, Oh my gosh, even people from all walks of life will will go around and, and swarm be like, look, you don't understand what it's like to be that kind of creative. And I do think that, uh, that, that does create a lot of sensitivity for mental health, which means that you have to be even more careful with self-care. Yeah. To, yeah. And I, and I know that sucks to say, it's easy to say when you're in a situation where finances, finances aren't a giant burden, but when you're trying to get stuff off the ground early on and you don't have the finances, that's really tricky. But I do think it's uh, it, it just it makes it even more important to prioritize that and realize you're if you're constantly doing creative work, you are going to be in a fragile state. What, which is kind of sad. I don't yeah. know. Ugh. Well, there's a flip side of that coin. You look at like engineers. I technically am an engineer. Yeah. There's a temptation sometimes. I'm an artistic engineer. Sure. But there's a temptation amongst people that are in raw, completely raw, emotionless 
professionals, uh, you know, professional fields, that they tend to have a reputation. There's a stereotype that they're like, Robot. your tears are inefficient. Yeah. You know, that's yes. the complete flip side of that coin. They get stuck in work mode in their personal life. Yeah, absolutely. I and never do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, yeah, yeah, that's totally true. So I do think you have to be aware, but on both sides of that coin, whether you're in the engineering or technician side of it uh, or the creative side, I think you have to realize that your brain is like some kind of muscle and you're going to be and how yeah. you're going to train it. Oh, and, totally. and the work you do is going to impact that. And maybe that means, you know, if you're an engineer, that maybe that means like, on your off time, engaging in some things that make you laugh and cry and, you know, get, yeah, all that good. Just turn that all the way up. And yeah, I think, yeah, that's, that's good. Mm. That's a good point. That was good. Um, Ooh, this one hurts me. Oh dear. Um, what do you do to trust yourself when working with highly critical people? Hmm. That is a hard one. I, I think instead of like sometimes with questions or even on the podcast, I try to instead of just be like, let me position myself as an expert for a minute. I try to be like, yeah, I don't know. That's and I, so I, I don't want to skip this one because I want to mm. I want to say I'm a highly sensitive person and being impervious to critique that is unhelpful has been a big challenge of mine. Mm. Now, I do. I will say this, that. One of the things that happened for me in the podcast, because it made me so much more visible in my creativity than I had been in the past, I went through a crystallization process of becoming a lot more of myself because mm. as I was noticing people were critiquing things about me, there would be, sometimes they would be critiquing things about me that aren't really me. They're like things that I'd put on and I thought, oh, mm. well, I don't, I'll just get rid of that because that's not me. Uh, like I thought that would impress somebody or so, you know what I'm saying? So what would end up happening is, uh, once you, I feel like if the, I, th so I don't know if this is the answer or not, but, uh, self-actualization as an ongoing process towards becoming more and more of your true self will give you more resilience because for me, when someone like to, like the other day, <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to say this because I don't want people to go looking for it. So I'm not going to use this. <laughs> I'm not going to use the exact language, but we, I get tons and tons of, you know, very gracious, very kind feedback for what the stuff that I do. And I couldn't appreciate it more. Every once in a while, I get somebody who's a little bit sassy or salty. And someone recently told me basically to take it down a notch, like <laughs> to be like, to be like, look, man, the, you're too strange. Like you've got to chill it out. And I thought, Two things. One, that's hilarious because I'm so much more weird in person than I am. <laughs> like this is already way dialed back for anybody that knows me personally. But uh, so there's that. And then the second thing that happened was it, I, I was emboldened. I was like, Ooh. you know what? Like I, I can't if I can't possibly like I couldn't possibly. And it made me literally want to turn it up because I was like, it's not for you. It's not for you then. See, this gives me pause because we've talked about the Enneagram. Have mm -hmm. you talked about the Enneagram on the show? No, but it's it's coming. We're going to do a whole personality thing. So maybe this is applicable or not, but you're supposedly a four and I'm supposedly an eight. Which, by the way, can I just real quick? Yes, do I, it. I think I might be Your a show. three. Okay. I, I, I am, I'm either a four with a three wing or a three with a four wing, but I really, really relate to the achievers. 
because the the response that you just had was not a four response. Right. Yes. That was a hardcore eight response. Right. And I will say that uh, it's a new thing in me though huh. too, which which could be a lot of things like that's that. Beautiful. That could be a million things. Uh, one thing that's really consistent about me is that uh, for my whole life, I have not had any self-esteem. And huh. I think that, and I say that with full vulnerability of realizing, you know, I'm saying that on purpose so that people know. Because a lot of people, because one of the things that happens is when I get on stage, especially I'm a performer mm. and in the podcast I'm a performer and often that, it's funny how most people would equate, equate that with self-esteem when it's usually the opposite, mm. even for actors and comedians and, and public speakers or whatever, is that it's almost like a desire of getting up there to like gain esteem. Yeah. And I think that, yeah. So I think as I've grown in confidence in myself, which is still very small amount, uh, that has made me more resilient and more, you know what, that's a part of me, that's a part of me that mm. I couldn't dial back if I wanted to. And not only do I not want to, I want to turn it up. So yeah. So that's new. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That question about trusting yourself when you're working with, with highly critical people, that's so complicated and there's very so much, there's so much in there as, as far as be, I think being a good creative on the one hand being collaborative, but on the other hand, like having two middle fingers in the air of like, yeah. I'm, I'm doing me. And if you got a problem with that, go find a different creative. So that <laughs> yeah. we were just talking about that. And that's something I actually wanted to bring back up with you because we had left a conversation about how I was kind of saying that I, there are certain creative people who I actually like when they're more directed uh, mm. and you were saying that your stance in that conversation was about what it, you, you said that you feel like often it's best when creatives have like the ability to f like free fly and just yeah. be full on as much of them as possible. And I just, so I've been churning on that because I, you just, you know, you just saying about like, mm. it's, it's a, it's a collaborative thing and it's also a middle finger thing and striking the balance of how you do that. I think it's, I think a lot of that comes to do with. Seth Godin talks about this all the time, like, and so does Brene Brown about uh, grading the the critic. So in your mind mm. of like how how much do they know? Do they know more than me? Do mm. they know less than me? There's people in my life that I will give them lots of room to yeah. be like, look, that's not good, like, or that's you know whatever. But there's a bunch of people where I'm like. They have no idea what they're talking about. They couldn't do it better, and they could, and they don't. They have no idea, you know. So I think grading your critics is probably a big thing. Oof. Yeah, that's that's good and so hard. I think there's a big difference between when you're working with a highly critical person. If they're directing the creativity, it's totally different than if they are editing the creativity. Right. You know this. I get really irritated by directors, mm -hmm. but if someone's like cool, I saw what you did, maybe do it a little bit more like that or maybe a little less of this or a little more of that. That's so much easier to me than like, okay, now we're going to do A, B, C, and D. And so anyways. Like Heavy-handed directing, which to me that goes back to that idea of, you know, you talking about like I think it's okay directing beforehand, like setting the brief yeah. saying like this is kind of what we're looking for and then allowing you to find the creativity, not thinking. Amen. And then after the fact, editing, but not yeah. directing or editing 
in the middle of the process because yeah. of disrespect. You're hiring the wrong person if you want to yeah. do that. And yeah. back to your previous point about not thinking. You want to let the creative not think when it counts so that you get the good stuff. And that's another thing you mm. hear when you're listening to interviews with directors or actors and they're talking about directing. They're all super sensitive about how people give notes. They're mm. super sensitive because of, again, the critic prefrontal cortex, part of your brain. You don't want to get in there. And too much, especially if you're going to attach an emotion, a negative emotion with a critical thought, and there's like a tie there, it's going to be very hard to leave that. And so you'll hear Oof, some yeah. directors are notorious, and then there's the best directors, it sounds like, are the ones that actors like to work with the most, know how to give feedback in a non-critical way. Mm -hmm. uh, or some of them are just like, you know, let them do it or take a million takes. And I've heard even... The, the ones that seem most favorable are the people who are like, why don't we try that? Why don't we try this? Mm. And it's, there's no critique. It's literally just yes and. Like, yes yeah. to that and let's try this. I love that. Yeah. I think that's a, it's a challenging thing for, to speak to the critical people that are directing the creatives. That's a challenging thing because, where am I going with this? I guess let's move on. Right. Well, I can't remember what you were saying. It's challenging for the... It's challenging for the director because I think... So here it is. Yeah. It's challenging for the director because the reason we have art is because words can express yes. those emotions. Right. And for the director to be like, words, 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 to the creative, it's like, uh, I'm making this because we don't have the words yeah. for this. Let me do my thing. Like, give me a little bit of direction. Let me do my thing. And then we can have a conversation because there's something objective in the room to begin the conversation on. There's two, that makes me think of two mm. uh, anecdotes. And I just want to, one is a friend of mine who will actively do the wrong thing to get feedback. Ooh. And then there was another one that I don't want to forget. Okay. My inner eight loves that. Yeah, that's <laughs> hilarious. Uh, yeah, and uh, the other one is, Same. So one is that guy, and then uh, I can't even remember what you said. What was it? Um, the oh, eight. yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. I got it. The two things. So, I, and we can cut all the two things. I'll just I'll remember both of them now. So that reminds me of one. There's this. They've done MRIs when people are talking about mystical experiences or their notion of God. Mm. And when they try to move it over to the vocabulary center of their brain and verbalize it, it disappears. Whoa. And so there's a, there's studies that would say that the more you talk about, if you have a mystical experience and quantified by science, that's not like an abstract term. It's like there's certain qualities to what is like, a, you know, ego death, like all this, all these different things. If you have one of those, and then you try to verbalize it. The more you verbalize it, the more it diminishes in your experience. Uh. It disappears in your brain. And so the same goes, and that's one of the reasons why I think creative people are sometimes skittish about talking about it. Because mm. as soon as you're trying to verbalize the intuitive, I, but I, I think it's a valley too. I think you can get out the other side and learn how to do both. Uh, but then, so there's, that makes me think of that, um, like too much words on it. And then the other thing is my, uh, again, I'm going back to this, uh, Johnny Pemberton, who's going to be on the show pretty mm. soon. He's an actor. He says that he'll go into a room sometimes and actively try it the way he knows they don't want it 
because it gets the real feedback. Huh. And it's like you could pitch a client something where you're like, I know they don't. I know exactly what they don't want. I have no idea what they want, but I know what they don't want. And I'll show up with that and be like, is this kind of, what do you, I know this is wild, but what do you think of this? And then they'll be like, I hate it. And I'll be like, why? Because this, 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 this. And that's the brief. That's uh, the real brief. That's they, amazing. They push against it. It's a, it's a good technique. Huh. Yeah. I'm going to borrow that for later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this person has an old soul, and they are curious about how to serve people while balancing impact versus glory. Yeah. So this is a concept I talk about on the podcast quite a bit mm. the past couple of months, the idea of impact versus glory. Like, I think that they, I, I think that they, the metrics behind them often look similar. Like if you're making an impact, it can often look like you're receiving glory or you're doing it for the glory. Yeah. Uh, so I think that it actually creates like a false narrative where a bunch of people, artists are out there trying to seek glory when actually their heroes are just making an impact. Mm -hmm. And I think that the, so, so what did they say? They said, how do you, how do you serve people while balancing impact versus glory, making an impact versus getting glory for yourself? Yeah. So this is a big, there's a, there's a, there's two groups, I think within the creative world that want to talk about whether you should just be serving yourself, which I could have said that in a worse way. Anyway, serving yourself or whether you're there to serve the audience. Mm. And I think there's a lot of purists out there that are saying you're really there to scratch your own itch and it's not authentic if you're if you are attempting to deliver something to your audience, you know, that there's some kind of pandering. I actually think and then the other side is you're there to perform a service and give a gift. Mm. Now, I think that I, that there's a problem with that generally and that's dualistic thought where you're it's actually a little bit of both mm. it's really about embracing authenticity while uh, maximizing your resonance so there's two like you know how do you give your most authentic gift the thing that is deepest within you that is also fulfilling the deepest desires of an audience right so you're doing both of those things if you can find the venn diagram of that thing and so i think there's a lot of creative people that would instantly rub against the idea of of service as your as creativity mm. as a service. Yeah, and I think that first of all, and this is a kind of a brash statement, but I feel like if that's you, then I would suggest not pursuing a career in creativity because I don't. Now you can make brilliant art, and this is what I call like journaling or mm. diary writing. Uh, creativity you can make brilliant art but i don't think you can you can build a consistent business out of it it's too what what mm. services you only with totally disrespecting or or ignoring your audience i i think sometimes some really really profound creative work comes out of that but it's not something you can consistently build like what what service what serves you uh next album might totally alienate all your fans yeah and and I think, again, there's a balance there, but what I see, the people that can, th th this is the difference actually between what I think of as creative hobby versus creative career is creative mm. career is by nature a business and a business has to consistently provide some kind of value to their audience. Yeah. And you can't, you know, there's a book called predictable success where they talk about finding your, 
predictable income stream, your mm. predictable market stream. And that's how you build a business. If you don't have that, you can't have a business. You've got to figure out, are we a pizza chain? Are we a burger chain? Like, what are we? What is the thing that we're doing that people will continually show up for over and over again? Now, I've already said this to my audience a bunch of times, but we might keep it or not, but it's something that's just relevant as I'm talking to you about it. Yeah. We had Jenny from Jenny's Ice Cream on the show like a while back. Yeah. She's brilliant. Listen to that episode. It's yeah, great. she's awesome. And she, t you, so you remember she talked about her previous business, which is very artist. It's very yeah. non-serving your audience. Made what she wanted. Made that whatever day. you want yeah. that day, right? And that might creatively fulfill you. It might. It is very authentic to her. She still retires flavors. She still is constantly uh, experimenting with new flavors. It's still. She still brought that authenticity and that artistry to her business. But because she didn't want just art, she wanted an art business, she created Salty Caramel, where every day you get it because that's the market stream. Yeah. There's a predictable market stream. So I think if you find something authentically that, like, if you can find a flavor that you could eat every day and your audience is crazy about it, figure out how to mass produce that thing over time. Mm. And that then then that becomes, and I also, I always relate it back to making a meal for a friend. Like you might think your chicken curry is like the tastiest thing in the world. And it might be the most fun dish for you to make. But if your friend is vegetarian, you swap out some paneer, right? Like some, some Indian cheese and you meet them halfway. And actually, if you do that, the the you know the less joy you get from preparing it the way you like it will be more than made up for by the smile on their face mm. when they taste how delicious it is amen and i think that that kind of connection is that's why i'm in creativity I, like i love i i always talk about it like i love making creative gifts for my parents like mm. like as a 6 year old making my christmas presents and being like oh my gosh my dad's going to love this thing when he sees this like he loves these things i love that as a connecting point between humans art and not everybody sees it that way but i do think that you need to embrace some of that if you're planning on turning it into a career that's heavy yeah that's, that's very heavy when is it safe to quit my nine to five job and focus on creating? I've only made 10 sales so far. You know, I haven't actually addressed that that much, I, if, all, if at all. I've actually been very sensitive to not talk about the leap moment too much. Mm. And I, I'm in the camp of, you know, Build, building a bridge into it first and, 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 you know, doing everything you can around it. And basically there's a really good book that probably summarizes this better than I can. It's called Quitter by John Acuff. Mm. And it's all about quitting your job and how to do that successfully. And I think that that's a really great resource. Highly recommend it. I was reading it early days when I still had part-time jobs and it helped me think through how to think about these part-time jobs, uh, even just perspective shifts of how they allow you to make mistakes and how what they're doing for you, and 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 also the types of create uh, the types of part-time jobs that allow you to be most creative outside of your job. One of those th one of the things that happens all the time is that you think I'll get the you'll you compromise like halfway on your your job. Like I will, you know, like for me it was being a graphic designer. Now to some people. 
graphic design is their passion. Mm. That's, and I get that, but it's not my passion. And graphic design would suck up all of my creative energy. And then I'd go home and try to make stuff and I wouldn't have anything. I didn't uh. want to get back on Photoshop after that, right? And for me, a much better fit was I worked in a youth shelter and it was a human's job. And actually it was like recon for discovering truth about creativity. It was inspiration and Ooh. it was it filled me up. So there, were, uh, there was a real... A balance and a, a, a yin and yang kind of thing happening where this would feed into that, huh. would feed into that, and it would just kind of. I would suggest really slow release if possible, uh, unless you have some kind of dramatic action happening, replacement income from mm. your from your side to hustle. Then it's probably not time. And I would say one way of doing that is getting a different job that's less hours. I've recommended that that gives you more energy. Totally. There's a bunch of different ways that. I'll tell you one thing. There was a bunch of times early in my career where I allowed my wisdom and my decision making to be influenced by mainly by Hollywood movies. Mm. Where I thought, you know, there's moments where it's like, if you stand up to this bully, everything's going to be <laughs> like, just wait. The universe is going to work its way to protect you. And I would be like, you know what, bad client, you're fired. And I'd be like, all right, I'm waiting for that that next client to come in through the universe that's the perfect client since I finally stood up for myself. But no, my cupboard just went bare. Like, huh. like now I could probably get a good job now that I've proven myself on my own, but I but without doing it that way. So for me, there there is a side of it. There is a part of the leap that where you do it where you're like, there is some risk. I always I say it this way too. Instead of thinking about a leap of faith, think about it as a step of faith. And there's always a night there for me, I'm taking steps right now, steps of faith where I'm like, it's a little risky, like, but it's calculated and it's never like, well, this is going to jack up all of my crap. Uh, if this doesn't go right, it's more like, Hmm, that'll be annoying. And that, that'll, you know, deplete this, mm. whatever. But does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So uh, what comes to I'd mind, I'd love you to chime in by the way on this question. Cause I know yeah. you know a lot about this. Well, so two kind of things come to mind. Um, one is that scene in Indiana Jones and the last crusade. when he's like only from a leap from the lion's mouth. Right. Prove his worth or whatever it is. Yeah. And he puts his foot out and leans forward. And it's only because he took that leap that he's able to win. Right. On the flip side of the coin, I think about, I think it's like cliche to be like, well, Einstein. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a story about Einstein yeah. where he got a job as a patent clerk. And all day people would send him their creative work and he would evaluate it and be like, oh, this is, you know, we can patent this or oh, we can't or we need this. And he did that because he knew it was an environment that he would excel in, that wouldn't use up his creativity, yeah, and that he would be able to complete his job quickly. So he would have time to do uh, mental experiments to, in his mind, build the physical things to demonstrate his physics theories. Yeah, he would do these. He would do these mind experiments, and it was because he had a job that allowed him the time and the income to do and it. And the that he was, mental health. Yes, I've not. Yeah, being in the gutter. Yeah. Right. So I'm, it's fascinating to me that there are two paths. One is you just got to leap sometimes, and the other is you have to get yourself in a position to build up the momentum for the leap. But ultimately, there, yeah, there's a, there's a gray area there too, which I think is one of the things we don't explore very much, which is like yeah. there's a big in-between between living your dream and, you know, working for the man. Like there's a giant gray in between that, yeah. that you can explore. And that one of my, my dad is a real, I think it's like a third way thinker 
which is I'll say, I, I either have this choice or I have to do that. And he's, and he's always like, really? That's, those are your options? You could, mm-hmm. could you do a little of that one and a little of that one? Like there's almost always a third way and we make it this really black and white thing. Mm-hmm. One other thing I've thought a lot about, which I think this is an interesting thing that I've never heard anybody else talk about is see yourself as a journalist, as a creative, creative person. And I've thought about, you know, if you're an illustrator and you want, you know, like, you know how actors will go with method acting and go get jobs that they're going to play in the movie. Yeah. Like, I think that mm-hmm. there's another, there's an opportunity there just as a creative observer to like, you know, maybe go work on a farm and then bring out a book about farming. Like there's a bunch of different, go have life experiences, go take, go get a job where you learn about something that other illustrators or other musicians or life experience. Like for instance, another thing is, um, Ricky Gervais making the office at age 42 he only made that because he'd worked in an office. Like he, mm. that was his path. He didn't do anything creative until that. Well, he did have a music video, blah, blah, blah. We're not going to go into that. But he worked, he had a normal life until 42. Huh. And he could never have made the office had he never worked in an office. And I think that there's some kind, you know, there's this thing that comedians do. It's like a sick and twisted kind of thing. And I've adapted it too. Like right now, this week, I've had a crappy week. And I was just like, oh gosh, like something fell off and I couldn't figure it out what it was. And then I realized it hit me like, oh, this is going to make a good episode one day. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And I start making a list of what kinds of things can I do to help me get back into the flow of things. And I made a list of 10, here's 10 things that I'm going to try or am trying. Some of them are working. Some of them aren't. Some of them worked in the past, but ultimately that life experience is the thing that gives the light. Like I always say, if you, you know, if you're, if you, if you don't live a life, your art will be dead. I've said that more poetically in the Mm. past. I can't remember what it is, but you have, you have to have, life and something that gets something that happens to pros we just talked about this the other day or musicians as like at first their first album's about life their second album is about touring we're like well that doesn't relate to that many people ouch you know what i'm saying yeah and so for me if you're if you have to have a job think of it like a creative opportunity Mm. i think there's something in that i love the optimism um in that and I, I would say, in addition to the optimism of that, I, I think it's helpful to pause and have gratitude to think about the world that we live in now. Yeah. That if you lost your job 10 years ago and you needed money that day, you only had two choices. You could work as a farmhand yeah. or you could do crime. Yeah. These are your only two options. Yeah. <laughs> it, love him or hate him, all of a sudden there are all these gig economy things that you can do True. because a lot of creative careers, they don't have this consistent cash flow thing going on. And it's amazing for creatives that there are opportunities to legally make money when you need it. Yes. Regardless of whether it's soul crushing or not, you can stay in business yes. because you have these opportunities. And that's something to be thankful for. When I was, you know, when I was like a year, maybe two, maybe, year or two into this process, probably like 2009, mm. 2010, like I was looking at, <laughs> this is very on brand, pizza delivery jobs because <laughs> while, while it, yeah. I'd already worked with, you know, Sony, Starburst, a, bu- a bunch of clients. Like I've already done a bunch of stuff. And I was looking at those jobs where I could have got a graphic design job, but I thought if I'm in the car, I'll be able to listen to podcasts. I'll be able to listen to music. I'll be able to, and I was listening to podcasts before anybody starts. This is, but this must've been about 2010. 
I was already on it, so don't fact check me. I was listening to marketing <laughs> podcasts, and I thought I there's so much I could do within that job, and I and I do think humbling yourself to because cash flow is king. You've got to keep the cash yeah. going. You got to do what you got to do, and there's t- there are tons of options. Not even pizza delivery, but all the you know ride sharing, all all these different things that you could do to make money if you're in a pinch. Mm. Yeah, I love that. So I, I, it's cool to think about. It's not just creative leap. It's not just like the slow transition. It might be putting yourself in a position to grow. Yeah, true. That's that's cool. But there's so many more options than there have ever been before. Yes. Before it was like, uh, like starve, or uh, or commit crime, yeah. or like crush your soul. Yes. So I love this. I also one of the other things I think a lot about is, you know, this podcast in 2014 started out as an illustration podcast, kind of a design illustration podcast. Mm. And I always knew that it was not really that, that it was actually a creative. I just thought I'll speak to the people that I'm already connected with, but I knew it was always about creative career. I always knew like, this is about, uh, building a thriving creative career. But then recently even I've thought I, I get a lot of messages that say, I'm not even a creative person. Or I'm not even building a creative mm. per, uh, career, but I like your podcast. And I think although I might not ever brand it this way, my real passion is approaching career creatively. Mm. Like, and it's so that apply, I mean, that applies to everybody, especially in this day and age where that's pretty much your only option. And I think it used to be, you, you know, we both know Seth Godin goes on about it all the time. This, that sounded like he was being pedantic. Seth, if you somehow heard this, I would never call you pedantic. You're quite brilliant on, on command all the time. But he talks about that thing about the Industrial Revolution and how school system is set up to teach you how to fit in, where the economy now rewards standing out. And I think that there's never been a time where you've got that binary of you're working for the man or you're living the dream is old. That's an old way yeah. of thinking. Yeah, and there's actually mm. creating a healthy ecosystem of financial reward is is probably the strongest way forward and create like creating your career as an art project yeah and, and applying your creativity on making okay. money is as important as the do i or don't i take a leap well and i think about seth i think about seth's book uh linchpin mm-hmm. linchpin is this idea of hey if you want a really successful career become indispensable become singular at your company and what's more creative than doing anything that's singular. Yes. Like that's the very definition of creativity is how do you become singular or how do you make something singular creativity? There's no other way because any system to make something singular isn't going to work unless it's just like, well, roll the dice and then pick, you know, it's going to be completely random or it's going to be creative. Well, even in creativity, and a thought I think about a lot is that there's all these these frameworks and good ideas about how to do something creatively. And one of the things that's funny is that as soon as there is a good way of doing it, as soon as there's a right way of doing creativity, it ceases to be creative. And all of a sudden now the wrong way is is the creative way. Um, But... I, yeah, I totally, I totally agree with that. And I actually think um, if you can become indispensable to a bunch of different companies in a bunch of different ways, then that's the that's be, the dream. Yeah, and having having the ability to like don't be afraid of metrics. Like learn how to 
get results. If you can get results in any, any way, especially as a creative person, and you know how to show up and get laughs, show up and get tears, showing up, you know, play the human instrument as it is, as you're paid to do, like that's why they're paying you. Uh, if you can do that consistently, that's where you're going to find job security. Mm. If, if you, and that's, you know, I see it all the time, like actors versus writers or writer actors, like actors and illustrators are always at the mercy of the casting director or the art director hiring them. And because they, what they produce is so esoteric, it doesn't have, you know, clear metrics. Mm. It's a, you're not owning your own destiny. And I get it's not writing and illustrating or writing and acting is not for everybody. But I think if you can even just be an amateur writer and an illustrator, that's a more killer combo than just doing the intuitive thing. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm, yeah. Yeah. I don't remember where that was going. It was relevant. I promise. <laughs> There's some reason why, but yeah. But oh, it's just about job security. And yeah. it's about rather than thinking about, oh, I've got a job, so I'm secure or I'm leaving my job. So I'm not secure. Knowing that I have skills that I can show up and get results and metrics. That's, that is the way, and that's being the linchpin. Yeah. It's like, I know how to show up and be a technician that says, oh, you need to someone to get in front of this crowd and do X, Y, Z, or you need someone to, you need a, like, for instance, for me, I've thought a lot about how my illustration work, one of the core values of it, the, uh, one of the things that, one of the reasons people hire me is because it's super loud and that like companies like that. And mm. so one of the, I have endless comments about the podcast of they found the podcast on iTunes because of the podcast art. That's why they gave it a shot because it, w it was super loud compared to all the other podcast arts. And you know, you don't always want to be loud in every situation, but the people that hire me often do. Mm. And I think that that's a, that's a metric is that I, I might not be the most subtle. I definitely don't use very much white space. However, I am good at getting attention. Mm. And if, and that's a metric that matters. Does it, does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I think, one of the interesting things that's worth bringing up back to this initial issue of like making a leap, you know, do you leap or do you sort of meander, you yeah. know, or saunter over, you know, to creative chasse. <laughs> yeah. You chasse. Yeah, yeah. One of the kind of interesting things to bring up there is I think the biggest resistance to doing that is this traditional idea of job security. Yeah. And one of the most important co uh, concepts to understand there is when you have a job, you still have a business, but you only have one customer. Yeah. And a business with one customer isn't a business. It's not, very safe. It's not safe. Yeah. So if you've got five customers, five consistent customers, that's more safe. If you've got a hundred, so long as it's not like you're ruining your life, uh, that's a lot more safe because if you've got that walk away power that we were talking yes. about yesterday, where if a client's being a jerk, you can say, ah, I don't think we're a great fit maybe try Bob down the street. He'd be perfect for you. No big deal. You just lost 1% of your income, but you just gained at least 2% more time yep. because they were paying the butt to go find more customers. Absolutely. Yep. So I, did, I, I think it all, all of that is, I think obviously we've gone through this giant shift. We have to think about jobs differently. We have yeah. to think about them creatively. Yep. Thanks again, Chris, for hosting my podcast. Uh, that was super fun and really changed it up a bit. Had a good time with that. Thanks for doing that. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Alex Sugg for editing and 
also providing the soundtrack to this show. And thanks to all of you for listening. Until we speak again, stay pepped up.